Okay, and today's scripture verse it comes from Romans 1, verses 18 to 23. But God anger, angrily displeasures erupts at, as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basically, basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes, as much as they can't see, eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of divine being. Nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trifalized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there were neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They prevented to know it all, but they were illiterate regarding life. They traded, traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. In a few weeks, uh, we're going to be reminded of the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Wow. Ten years. Do you remember where you were ten years ago, 9-11? It's pretty vivid for me. That's kind of a turning point in history, really. Most uh, North Americans have heard how uh, Todd Beamer recited... Psalm 23, with a uh, cell phone operator before storming the cockpit of uh, the plane that crashed in rural Pennsylvania, September 11th, uh, 2001. There are some psalms, you know, that are particularly well-known around the world. Psalm 23, of course, is one of those. I love the German language. Uh, I grew up in a German community, of course, McDonald, I'm not German, but I heard the language often. I don't know it, a few phrases here or there, but I love it because I love the sounds of it, the guttural sounds. Uh, sometimes people say, you know, it just doesn't translate the same in English as it does in German. You miss something in the translation. Well, it's true for the Psalms. How do you translate the beautiful, poetic Hebrew verse into English without losing something? Because it's poetry in motion, in song. And there's power in the packaging. And the Hebrews had the package. And they put these poems to song. And they often sang them as a reminder of the great things that God had done in history. So I just remind you to enjoy the Psalms. Uh, Most of them were probably written between 1,000 and 500 B.C. And worship leaders, how many contemporary songs come right out of the book of Psalms? Lots of them. God is still raising up people today who look at the Psalms and the Holy Spirit uh, gives them a unique way to set this body of truth to music. I think it's wonderful. And uh, I encourage you, if you're gifted in this area, to read the Psalms and to give us a new song for our worship. This summer we've been underscoring... uh, 
the father heart of God, looking at uh, the father's heart of love and of, of holiness and of uh, wisdom and of uh, his sovereignty. And uh, this morning, the creative heart of God, the creative heart of God. We turn to the eighth psalm and we think about the father as creator. It's a beautiful psalm, a pretty well-known psalm as well. It praises the glory of God as seen in his creation. And it exalts man or humanity as the highest of all of God's creation. Yesterday, uh, Manoj and I uh, were at an ordination council uh, at McKernan Baptist Church. One of their pastors uh, called for an ordination council. He's uh, wanting to be ordained. And so there's an examining council that comes together, and we were part of that. And so he had a prepared statement, 20 pages. But on one of his sentences, he wrote, When God created the entire universe, he saved his most spectacular work for the last. I I loved the way he said that. He saved his most spectacular work for the last. That's the exaltation of of humanity. That's the creation of humanity. The highest of all of God's creation. Matthew Fontaine Maury uh, is the father of the science of oceanography. And he discovered the paths of the sea or the lanes of the sea from this psalm, Psalm 8. He's a Christian man raised in a fine Christian home. And apparently there was a time in his life when he was a very sick man And his son read Psalm 8 to him when he was very sick. Because verse 8 mentions the paths of the the sea or the lanes of the sea. And Mystery Maori is reported to have said, if God's word says there are paths in the sea, they must be there. I'm going to find them. And he found the currents in the ocean, which are followed by ships today. Amazing. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, I guess we could make this psalm quite complicated, but I think there are just a couple of major thoughts, and they're fairly simple. Number one is the awesomeness of God. And number two is the significance of humanity. The awesomeness of God and the significance of humanity. The awesomeness of God, it's, it's not hard to imagine what might have prompted David to write the words of Psalm 8. How many times did he lie on his back, looking up to the heavens, as a young shepherd boy tending the sheep? He looked up into the heavens, and he worshipped God. He recognized God as an awesome God who had created this universe. And he said, Oh, Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. I like the Amplified version. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And some suggest that this is the combination of majestic and glorious. Excellent. Excellent. God's name dominates the whole earth. And when we look at his creation, all we can say is excellent. It's excellent. And it is. It speaks of excellence. His excellence 
fills the whole earth. This young shepherd boy, looking into the expanse of the universe with his naked eye, wrote a poem to remind us of the necessity of never limiting God to simply the size of our own understanding. Looking at the sky with his naked eye, years and years before Kepler and before Galileo, he said, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how excellent, how awesome is your name. When I see the heavens, the sun and the moon and the stars. And you read Psalm 19, it's very similar, very similar psalm. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name, your excellent name just fills the earth. I often think how strange it is that as we have expanded our ability to understand the universe, we have seem to have diminished our ability to understand the greatness of God. We've learned and, and are continuing to learn so much about the universe. Wasn't that a beautiful video clip this morning? Do you know, that was taken from the Hubble telescope that was shot up into the air in 1990 is circling around, and many of those pictures come from the Hubble telescope, and they captured them and, uh, and put it in this little clip. That's awesome. Uh, we've learned, and we're continuing to learn so much about the universe, but it doesn't necessarily correspond to expressions of praise to God. And we feel sad about that. We've got a little Land Rover up there on Mars right now headed toward one of the biggest dents in the surface of Mars, crawling along, just crawling so slowly to get there. But, you know, I don't hear a lot of rejoicing and expressing what amazing creation this is. I hear more focus on, isn't it amazing that this little thing can go up there? And the battery is still strong enough to move it along. We know that there are many galaxies. Some say billions of galaxies. Obviously, nobody really knows, just that it's huge, 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 huge. Now, our own galaxy is a fairly expansive place. If we want to go across it the short way, and if you move at the speed of light, and you know the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second, that's moving along a pretty good clip. You, You can cross the narrow expanse of the galaxy in... 20,000 years. 20,000 light years to cross it. Now, if you want to take the scenic view, remember, our galaxy is about five times as long as it is uh, wide. 100,000 years to go its length. One galaxy. And there might be billions of them. Oh, my. Our sun is a, re- a relatively minor star. Not mediocre, but, but uh, minor to a degree. It's about 110 times roughly the size of our earth in diameter. Or about 860,000 miles in diameter. That'll take a good weekend to get across there. However, we do have a star in our galaxy, number one Antares, that is large enough that you could put our sun and our moon, and all our planets inside it, in one star. Astronomers now tell us the number of stars in the universe exceeds the number of grains of sand on all the beaches of all the seas of the entire earth. Can you believe that? It's incredible. 
I can't begin to fathom that. I read the account of a pastor. He said that he was preaching one Sunday evening. And he said, one young man came up to me and uh, he was just a little bit antagonistic. And uh, he said, I don't want to insult you, but I come to this service mostly because it's a good place to meet girls. He has some very beautiful girls in this church, uh, professional girls, women. And, uh, and he said, I found it a good place to meet some pretty neat gals. And uh, I don't want you to feel insulted, but I don't even believe in God. I don't think I even believe in God. Well, the pastor said, I had read this someplace, so I decided to try it out on him. I, I think he thought I was going to get a nosebleed over what he had just said. So I said to him, you don't believe in God? Tell me what God you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe in him either. And then he began to tell me about his uh, a particular relative of his. I think it was an aunt who was sort of neurotic. And every time their family wanted to talk about baseball or something, she wanted to talk about death. <laughs> and every time you wanted to talk about uh, having a good time, she wanted to talk about hell. And so he concluded that believing in God had something to do with this over-the-top aunt. And after he had talked for 15 or 20 minutes, the pastor said, Well, I'm just so glad that you took the time to, to talk to me and uh, that I had a chance to listen to you because, uh, you know, in fact, if I thought God was like you described him to be, I wouldn't believe in him either. A.W. Tozer said, We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. No matter who we are, no matter what time in history we've lived, it's really important that we have the right sense of who our God is. Who is this God that we worship? There's a classic book written in 1948. J.B. Phillips wrote a book way back then entitled, Your God is Too Small. It was a classic for generations, long out of print, but it certainly did impact a couple of generations of people because the thesis was that we have really limited God in our minds and in our hearts, and we tend to, more, to move toward a God who is not at all the God that the psalmist was talking about. Tell me what God you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe in him either. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Antony Flew, uh, one of the world's leading philosophers, has uh, changed his mind about God. And he certainly had some agnostics worried. He died last year. Raised in a Christian home, son of a famous Methodist minister, Flew became a, an atheist at age 15. He's written 26 books, many of them classics, like God and Philosophy, How to Think Straight. He's uh, one of the renowned uh, atheists of the past half century, and his lectures just abound. Uh, they form the kind of the bedrock of unbelief for many adherents. But rumors began circulating on the Internet about Flew's inclinations toward belief in God. And then... Uh, Richard Osling broke the story in the Associated Press. 
And, uh, but Flew was quick to retort and say that he is not a Christian. He said, I've become a deist like Thomas Jefferson. And he cites his affinity with Einstein, who believes in an intelligence that produced an integrative complexity of creation. Well, comedian uh, Jay uh, Leno got a hold of that, suggested a, a motive for the change on The Tonight Show. Of course, he said, he believes in God now. He's 81 years old. Of course he believes in God. Flew's U-turn on God lies in a far more significant reality. It's about evidence. Flew can't look out at the heavens and deny the existence of an intelligent designer. To be honest with himself, he can't deny it any longer. He's like David the psalmist in a very limited way. Flew can't deny the existence of an intelligent designer. David looked at the universe from his perspective of knowing God in his heart and being in relationship with him, and he just oh, blurted, Oh, Lord, how oh Lord, how awesome, how awesome, how excellent, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. David was so impressed with the awesomeness and ma majesty of God, but it was just reinforced in his heart when he realized that kids got it too. They understood this. They didn't have any trouble at all with their view of a big God. Here is a God who can reveal himself in such a marvelous way that children, children, our kids, can grasp that there's a God. In fact, they often understand more rapidly than we do. Remember the children in the New Testament when they were crying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the chief priests were indignant and said to Jesus, Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Tell me what God you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe in him either. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. The God that we see in creation is a huge God. The Apostle Paul, writing years later since, said, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It's called general, general revelation. Friends, uh, we have enough evidence from uh, the world. We have enough evidence from creation, Paul tells us, to compel us to come to God. Because if you look at his design, you have to know there's a powerful God behind all of this. If we won't acknowledge that, I don't know what it is. But I think it starts with P. Pride. Pride. I have a neighbor. I've told you about him before. He's very adamant that, that God didn't create all that we see. We have some very lively discussions. Friendly, lively discussions. And uh, I simply tell him, you have more faith than I do. And he looks at me 
says, I don't think so. I said, no, I think you do. I think it takes more faith to not believe in the existence of an intelligent designer. To think that this all randomly came together. That's a huge faith. You could look at this world, this universe, and arrogantly say, it randomly came together over a period of billions of years. Or you can get to the next position, the acknowledgement of an intelligent designer. Or you can get to the next position and have the heart of David. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how awesome. Oh, you're an incredible God. When Job demanded an explanation from God for what he had suffered, Lord, why did all this happen? How did the Lord answer? He spread before him the wonders of creation. He just threw it out there. He said, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? And he goes on in magnificent poetry and flashing images of light and snow and hail and lightning and desert and wild beasts and even mentions the birthing process. This overwhelming display of the wonders of creation causes Job to reply, I don't know what I was talking about, Lord. I'm sorry. I'll just shut up and listen. Job acknowledges, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Like Job, and like the psalmist, and like the prophets, and even Jesus calls forth praise for the wonders of creation. We say today, can God do this? Can God? And the question really isn't, can God? The question is, is there a God? And if there is, then he can. And if there is, he can speak. And if there is, he can visit the planet. And if he is, you can put your faith in him. And if he is, he can change your life. And if he is, you can know him. And you can have eternal life, if he is. How does all that relate to us today? If the God who made the heavens and the earth is my God, when I feel my problems may be too big, is it possible that I've come up with a problem too big for God, who made the heavens and the earth? I suddenly realize I'm serving the creator God. And there's no problem that I can face that is even going to cause God to have a committee meeting in heaven to try to figure out a solution for that problem on earth that we've got to get solved. He's God. That's the God we know. What problem have you been struggling with this week? What problem has so consumed your mind that you can't even concentrate on your family? You can't even concentrate on your work. Is the problem perhaps that you've been bringing it to a God who's, well, too small? And you need to bring it to a God who's big, like Psalm 8. I had a conversation with a lady some time ago 
who after she learned that I was a pastor said, well, I don't tell people this because I'm not religious and I don't go to church and my friends would think I'm nuts. But one day, one day I came to the end of myself. I came to the end of my rope, the absolute end, and I cried out from the bottom of my heart, Jesus Christ, help me. And you said, she said, you know, my life began to turn around. She became free from her addictions. She really doesn't understand who Jesus is. She, she knows he's God, and she knows uh, he's powerful, but all the pieces haven't quite come together yet, and she still has really no idea why she's on planet Earth. But I told her that God really does have a purpose for her life, and she wants to know more. Well, first, the awesomeness of God. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth? And second, the significance of humanity, the dignity of humanity. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. I think we have quite a few people here in this congregation who know a lot about computers, a lot more than I know. I have no idea of how really powerful they are, uh, but I know they are. Uh, they have the ability to keep track of a lot of things and a lot of people. You may not realize how much this whole world knows about you because your name went into a database somewhere. We know a lot about you, and that information is floating out there in cyberspace. It might be scary if you really knew where your name was. Satellites can track your every move. Our computers can tell us uh, what that street looks like in Phoenix or in Calgary or in Sydney, Australia or in New York City. I see on Facebook now that you can track where people are at. Some of those entries, John Doe is now entering Starbucks in Calgary. Well, look at that. I was wondering where John Doe is. He's in Starbucks in Calgary. And I've been tracking some of you, too. <laughs> You've been going to Starbucks. Isn't that an awe-striking idea that the God who made the heavens and the earth can keep track of every one of us? Ken McDonald, he's in Twilliger Community Church right now. That building, you know where they meet that gym? Got my finger on him right now. Know exactly what he's doing know exactly what is saying trying to give him some words if he's listening to say these things as he stared up into the stars one night David had a moment of supreme clarity he found himself driven to his knees by the glory of God's creation and he simply asked a question ah oh, what is man that you're mindful of him? Who are we that you think about us? It's a question that all of us ask because the answer to the question is the basis of everything. Eternal beauty withers. Youth passes. We get older. Health goes. Fame fades. Wealth won't save us from dying. Only eternity remains. And what is man? And when I say man, I also mean woman and child. You know that. 
Here is young David out under the stars at night watching his sheep. The stars were brilliant and the moon was shining. And he is astonished at the greatness of a God who could create such things. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? You'll recognize that as the question that cries for an answer in our day. What is our purpose here? What is our purpose? Why do we exist on this very small planet in relationship to the universe? This little planet. Is there meaning? Is there significance? Is there a reason for the days that we have? Those are the questions that we ask over and over again. Is there someone out there who's tracking us who cares? And there are basically a couple of answers that are being given. A purely scientific point of view, there's nothing beyond the whirling stars. Man is part of the great cosmic machine which grinds on relentlessly and we're but a cog in the wheel. It's just over. It's over when you die. It's finished. The philosophy of Bertrand Russell, who many today regard as the high priest of humanism, But contrast with the biblical view of man, for the psalmist goes on to answer his own question. The psalmist says that God's greatness is revealed by what he intends to do with us. And this is so radical and so wonderful. We have a unique relationship to God. He has made us to be a little less than God. A little less than God. Now, some, t- some are trans- started by, startled by the translation. The King James Version says, a little lower than the angels. But it was the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that used the phrase, the angels. The Hebrew actually says, a little less than Elohim, a little lower than God. We're the highest of his creation. We are the the creation who is nearest to God. Friends, that's the highest privilege In, in all of his creation, in his amazing creation. He chose us to be close to him. He loves us dearly. Man is such a unique being, such a remarkable being, that God himself intends to live in him to be the glory of our lives. Man is the bearer of the image of God. I think that's why the incarnation is absolutely the greatest shot that humanity ever got. That God came among us and became one of us. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He became a human being. Not another animal, but a human being. Awesome God. God's an awesome God. God has chosen to make humanity the most significant part of his creation. Is this the God you know? Is this the big God that you know? Robert Culver is a theologian. And he wrote... A woman in a tribe that had never heard the gospel listened as a missionary told the wonderful story to her for the first time. She looked at the missionary and said, I always thought that there ought to be a God like that. (laughs) I always thought there ought to be a God like that. And there is. The good news is that there is a God like that. 
He's the source of every beauty and pleasure that you've ever known or ever dreamed of. He's the main character in whose story our story can find its ultimate meaning. We can't know and live the story alone. By yourself, you won't get it. You won't know him until he makes himself known personally in you and to you. And we come to know him through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God is revealed in creation, but more specifically, he is revealed in his own son, Jesus Christ. And when we say yes to his son, Jesus Christ, he brings illumination and perspective and purpose to our lives. Tell me what God you believe in. Maybe I don't believe in him either. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Do you know him? Do you know him, my friend? Do you know him? Open your heart to him. Open your mind to him if you don't know him. Even this morning, just say, I, I believe. Yes, yes, I believe. I invite you. I invite you, Lord of heaven and earth. I invite you, Lord, to come into my life. I invite you to forgive my sin. I ask you to.